Well, Merry Christmas, everybody. It's good to see you today. I thought there might be about three of us here today. There's been a whole lot of people sick, including uh, me and our family, and, uh, but I'm so glad you're here and looking forward to uh, listening to God's Word for a few moments as we gather together. Uh, hope you have a Merry Christmas and a safe Christmas and a healthy Christmas, and uh, may God bless us. Let's, let's take our Bibles this morning and go to Luke's Gospel, chapter 2. Luke, chapter 2. It was May of 2015, the world stood on the edge of their seats, awaiting the birth of Princess Charlotte. What an extraordinary thing that was, a real-life princess. And while there was much fanfare and much excitement surrounding the birth of that child, it is nothing compared to the excitement and the amazing story that surrounded the birth of our Lord Jesus Christ. Just imagine for a minute you sitting and watching the Charlie Brown Christmas special as Charlie Brown seeks to grab a hold of the meaning of Christmas only to have Linus come up and say, I know the real meaning of Christmas, Charlie Brown. And then he reads these words to us. Let me read them to you. It came to pass in those days that a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This census first took place while Quirinius was governing Syria. So all went to be registered, every one to his own city. Joseph also went up from Galilee, out of the city of Nazareth, into Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem. Because he was of the house and lineage of David. To be registered with Mary, his betrothed wife, who was with child. So it was that while they were there, the days were completed for her to be delivered. And she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. Now, there were in the same country shepherds living out in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone round them, and they were greatly afraid. Then the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which will be to all people. For there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign to you. You will find a babe wrapped in swaddling cloths, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the, with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill. Toward men. Amen. I want to speak to you for a few moments. I almost said preach. I'm not sure how much of that I can do. But I want to speak to you for a few moments on this subject. A Savior is born. A Savior is born. That's what we are celebrating today, and tomorrow, and this week. A Savior 
is born. I, I want to look at this story, the very familiar story, and I, I, to be honest with you, I, I sometimes struggle with preaching in seasons because I so often enjoy just speaking just through the Bible, and we'll be back in Revelation next Sunday. But, uh, and I thought to myself, you know, uh, what message could I share? And then, and I was reminded this week that really at the end of the day, what we need to be reminded of at Christmas is just the actual story. The story, what happened? What does it mean? I like Luke and Connor asked me this morning, how old is Jesus? What a great question. How old is Jesus? And of course the answer is, he's forever old, okay? He has no beginning and has no ending, but his birth, his actual birth, occurred of course in a real place, in a real town, at a real time, and it's recorded for us here in Luke chapter number two. And I want to take just a few minutes of your time on this Christmas Eve, and I want to look at this spectacular Christmas event recorded for us in the Bible, and I want you to see it from three different perspectives. First of all, I want you to see that it was a spectacular scene. It was a spectacular scene. And I want you to see this in, in really two parts. There, there's a, a part of the scene that takes place in verses 1 through 7, and then there's a second part of the scene that takes place in verses 8 through 14. What actually happened here? Well, let's just look and see what was going on around the birth of Jesus Christ. It was, in some ways, the most plain less than plain thing that has ever happened, but at the same time, it was the most amazing and glorious thing that has ever happened at the same time. For instance, in verses 1 through 7, we learn some of the circumstances surrounding Jesus' birth that make it all the more spectacular. And we look at verse number 1, and it says, it came to pass in those days that a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. Now, if you are just looking at the Bible casually and from uh, the naked eye, you might miss something really significant <coughs> in these first two verses. And the truth is, when you look at the Bible as a whole, the Bible has always revealed to us that there have been kingdoms that have ruled this world. When you close the Bible in the end of the Old Testament, you have a Persian kingdom that is ruling the world. And, and, and you read the book of Daniel, and you, and you read some of the Old Testament books uh, like Ezra, Nehemiah, and Esther, you see that the Babylonian kingdom has come, the Persian kingdom has taken over. When you close the final chapter of the Bible in the Old Testament, there is a, a, a kingdom ruling the entire known world called Persia. But yet Daniel has told us that Babylon was going to be a kingdom, a great kingdom, yet Babylon was going to fall. And then after them was going to come another kingdom, and that was going to be the Persian kingdom, and the Persian kingdom was also going to fall. And then between Malachi and Matthew, and really Luke chapters 1 and 2, there's a 400-year span of time. And it's, it's, there's no scripture recorded during that time. But in that time, there was a whole other kingdom that ruled, and it was uh, the, uh, <coughs> excuse me, the, Alex, uh, the, uh, the Grecian kingdom ruled by Alexander the Great. And yet God even said, as great of a king as he would be, his kingdom would also fall. And then the Bible said there would rise up another kingdom, and in that kingdom would be the kingdom from which the Messiah would be born. Now this is significant. For when you open up the Christmas story, we're reminded that God's word has come to pass, 
and God's word has found itself to be true as it always is. And what God said would happen hundreds of years before it happened actually happened. Think about that. Think about hundreds of years before there was a Messiah born on this earth. God said there would be a whole kingdom that I'm going to move. And there would be a savior born from and into that kingdom. And in Luke chapter 2, verses 1 and 2, we find that to be true. Isn't that extraordinary? Isn't it extraordinary to know that God called who would be king? God called what nation would be in charge before it ever happened. But then in verse number 4, we, we see the effect that that had on Joseph and Mary and their family. Look at verse 4. It says, Joseph also went... <coughs> excuse me, up from Galilee, out of the city of Nazareth into Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David. We learn here another really spectacular part of the Christmas story, and that is God's sovereign hand putting the Messiah into a family that would be coming to Bethlehem to be registered for this census, because of their family lineage and background. Now, now I know sometimes we look at this and go plainly past this and quickly past this, but it does say here that Joseph and Mary, although they lived in Nazareth, which is over 100 miles from uh, Bethlehem, they were required to travel to Bethlehem because of their ancestor David. Now, the city of David is called Bethlehem. Now, why was, why was this so significant? It's significant because in Malachi, uh, excuse me, Micah chapter number 5, the Bible actually tells us that the Lord Jesus was going to be born in Bethlehem. It was a prophecy. And the way that God fulfilled that prophecy was he used a secular government to issue out a census to cause people to return to their native land in order to fulfill this census. And it just so happened, right? That David, or excuse me, Joseph and Mary needed to go to Bethlehem because of their family, which was, of course, the house of David. Now, this is a significant part of the story. Uh, I looked it up on, um, on maps this morning. How long does it take to get from uh, Nazareth to Bethlehem? Now, today, there's actually roads and there's cars, and it's about a two-hour and four-minute drive today from Nazareth uh, to Bethlehem. But in this day, when, of course, there were no cars and there were no trains and there were no airplanes, this would have been a walk, a nearly 100-mile walk that would have taken place over four days. Can you imagine being nine months pregnant and uh, rolling down the street four days in a row, uh, maybe sleeping on the side of the road? Or I'm not exactly sure how this all went down, but this is, this is quite an amazing story. And yet God is showing to us in verses 1 through 7... Just how God always ties together the strings of human history to bring about his perfect plan and his perfect will all the time. Folks, and, and this is probably one of the biggest takeaways from the Christmas story. God is always at work in your life. Always. He is always working to bring about his plans, his purposes, his ways, his will in our life. And folks, you can just look around. I mean, I can't imagine what Mary must have said to Joseph when Joseph said, this is what we've got to do. But at the end of the day, God was weaving together his prophetic story with absolute beauty 
And it's absolutely spectacular to consider. But then there's another part of this story that is spectacular. Beginning in verse 8, it says here, <coughs> there was in the same country shepherds living out in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them, and they were greatly afraid. Then the angel said, do not be afraid. Skip down to verse number um, 13. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest on earth, peace, goodwill toward man. The second thing that's spectacular in this story is the scene of the angels and the angelic choir showing up out in the field at night, bringing the message of Jesus to these shepherds. Now, now, as I looked at this and thought about this all week, what really struck me here, the takeaway that I want, I want to give to you, is just, just think of how majestic, how extraordinary and amazing this must have been. One angel shows up and makes the announcement, and then after the announcement is made, a whole choir of angels shows up and begins singing this gospel song to these people right there in the middle of the desert, in the middle of the night, no fanfare, nobody's showing up, no news to capture this, but this extraordinary concert took place for just a few shepherd guys out doing their ordinary job. Now folks, I don't know about you, but the encouragement for me on this scene is this, that God is even willing to show up in the most extraordinary ways to do the most extraordinary things for the most ordinary people. Now think about that. Who were these shepherds? I mean, quite honestly, they were really nobodies. They were just common, ordinary. I mean, this would have been like this would have been like just the average construction worker, the average run-of-the-mill employee that is not very popular, is not very glamorous. Quite honestly, it's it's a, it's a it's a it's a, a very difficult job. It's a dirty job. And yet God shows up for them. I don't know about you, but maybe this year coming up, I'm, I'm thinking to myself, I, I need God to show up in my life. I need something to happen in my life. I need prayers to be answered in my life. I need miracles to occur in my life. I need, I need to know and see and experience and feel in a real way that God is here, God is present, God is God cares and God is able. And guess what? All of those things are true. And you may look at your circumstance and your life right now and you may think to yourself, I mean, if there was ever a nobody, I mean, I could see my own face being beside nobody in the dictionary. But you're not a nobody to God. And here he shows up and puts on this extraordinary concert just for a couple plain old shepherds what a spectacular scene but the second thing i want you to see is i want you to see a spectacular baby a spectacular baby who is this baby who is this child now uh, i want you to turn back to matthew 1 just for a second i want to tie this together because there, there's some there's a lot assumed here uh, in, in 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 luke and of course we could go back and read luke chapter 1 as well, but, but I want you to see Matthew's perspective on this. In Matthew 1, who is this baby? Well, in short, this baby is the Son of God. This baby is God the Son. This baby is the Messiah, the Christ, the answer, and the Savior of the world. Look at verse uh, 
number uh, 18 of chapter 1, it says, Now the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. After his mother Mary was betrothed to Joseph, and betrothal uh, is a, was, a, was basically a, a legally binding commitment to marriage, although marriage had not taken place. It's not as simple as engagement. Some people try to make that equal. It's not, not just that simple. But, but, but notice this. Before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Spirit. Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man and not wanting to make a public example of her, was minded to put her away secretly, meaning, meaning he assumed something uh, uh, wrong had taken place and he's going to divorce her because obviously she had been unfaithful to him. I mean, he knew in his heart they had not been together physically and how could she possibly be pregnant if we have not been together physically unless she's been together with somebody else physically, right? And so he's, he's thinking about putting her away privately verse 20 but while he thought about these things behold an angel of the lord appeared to him in a dream saying joseph son of david do not be afraid to take to you mary your wife for that which is conceived in her is of the holy spirit now folks there's a couple things you need to know about the lord jesus christ he is god he was born of a virgin conceived by the Holy Spirit of God himself. This is a miraculous birth. This is an extraordinary birth. And when we come to verse, uh, back to Luke chapter 2, and, and we look at what the angel says to these shepherds, notice what he says here. Verse 11, for there is born to you this day in the city of David, watch this, a Savior who is Christ the Lord. That's a pretty good description of who Jesus is today, folks. He is a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. You want to know who Jesus is? Here's who Jesus is. He is first and foremost a Savior. Now, folks, that is actually what the name Jesus means. In Matthew 1, again, I didn't read that far, but that's exactly what uh, why they told them to name Jesus Jesus, because he is the Savior. In the Old Testament, uh, the, the, the word Jesus, uh, Yeshua, comes from the same word that Joshua and Hosea come from. And those are some extraordinary pictures there. I mean, Joshua was the man who brought the children of Israel into the promised land. He was their deliverer, or their, their, their deliverer from uh, after Moses to bring them in. And then, and then Hosea, and what an amazing story that is. The man who rescued his, his, his wild wife forgave her and brought her into the family. I mean, this, these pictures of Jesus being the rescuer, Jesus being the deliverer, Jesus being the savior. Folks, listen very carefully. You need a savior. You need a savior. You may, I don't know why you're here. I don't know uh, the circumstances that brought you here. I don't know what your religious background is, but, but I, but I want to tell you, there is no religion. There, there is no church. There is no religious leader who can save you, who can rescue you, who can offer you forgiveness of sins. That's not possible. The only way that a person can be forgiven of their sins is through the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the Savior of the world. And if you've never accepted him, you've never believed in him, I cannot think of a better gift to receive this Christmas than to open up your heart like the front door of your house and invite Jesus into your life. He's the Savior. Not only that, he's the 
Christ. That's a, a beautiful word. It's, it's the word in the Old Testament, Messiah. It means anointed one. It's the promised one, if you will. It's the one who all the Old Testament had made clear would come. And all those promises about the Messiah in the Old Testament were fulfilled in the person of Jesus Christ. So when you see the word Christ in the New Testament, you're seeing God literally tied together. Everything about Jesus in the Old Testament is tied up together in the Lord Jesus Christ in the New Testament. So when you see that word Christ, and you need to uh, know that it was a, a statement of the exact fulfilling promise of who he is. And of course, look at this. He is Lord. Now, I've said it before, but let me, let me bring it square as I got here in this verse. He is Lord. Folks, listen. This is a world that would like to make us literally believe anything and everything. And if you are a Bible-believing Christian, you cannot believe anything and everything. What we believe is that Jesus Christ is God. And it's so plain in the Bible. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by him, and without him was not anything made that was made. The, the Bible says that, that in him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. The Bible says, and the word Jesus became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory. I mean, over and over and over and over again, the Bible proclaims that Jesus Christ is God. He is Lord. He is the King of kings. He's the Lord of all lords. It's not that he was just a good teacher. He was just a good prophet, a good example, a sacrificial uh, 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 martyr. No, 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 no. Jesus Christ is God. And he must be accepted as he is for who he is. If he's going to be believed on at all. It's a spectacular scene. <coughs> Excuse me, a spectacular baby. And finally, let me, let me show you this. It's a spectacular message. A spectacular message. Notice, if you will, in verse 13. And suddenly, there was an angel, or there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God, saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. Now back up, I'm sorry, to verse 10. Then the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. Let me say a few words about this message. This message that I'm bringing to you today, it is first and foremost, good news. He says, I bring you glad tidings of uh, I bring you good news of glad tidings. Good tidings of great joy. It's good news. Fundamentally, that is the word gospel. It's what it means. The message that we're sharing with you today is good news about a Savior who rescues the world from their sins. But not only is it just good news, it is, look at this, for all people. The end of verse 10 which will be to all people. Now, folks, I want to tell you, the, the fact that it is good news for all people tells me this, that it is absolutely available to all people. So it can't be good news for everybody if the good news is not for everybody. 
But I'm here to tell you today that this Savior, this salvation, this forgiveness of sins is something that is available to absolutely anybody and everybody in the world. Whether you're a child in the room, whether you're the oldest person in the room, whether you came into this room a complete unbeliever, whether you've been questioning, struggling, you, you say, preacher, listen, listen, my background, my past, my sin, it is deep, it is dark, it is ugly, it is brutal, and I'm here to tell you, you cannot out the love of Jesus Christ. I, I'm here to tell you that this is good news for all people. And then watch this. This good news brings with it, here on verse 14, on the earth, peace and goodwill toward man. It has the ability to transform, watch this, the hearts of men to bring with it what no man can bring. Let me explain. I think this is an interesting uh, statement. Peace, of course, and joy are... <coughs> Excuse me, two words you often find with the Christmas season and story. And the word peace here used in Luke chapter 2 is significant because in, during this time there was a, 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 a season of history called the Pax Romana or Roman peace. Meaning the world had settled into some of the most um, uh, financially affluent uh, there was rest, there was no, there was no war, the, Rome had conquered, there was intrastate travel, there was all sorts of benefits and blessings, and, and, and that is an actual uh, description of the time that, 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 they, that Jesus was born into. So what is significant then about Jesus bringing peace when the world, as, 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 as Jesus was brought into it, was experiencing what they called the greatest time of peace in world history. Folks, watch this. That is because peace around you does not equate peace within you. Peace around you does not equate peace within you. Now, folks, there are people in this room right now, in, in some sense of the word, your life is peaceful. Maybe it's financially secure, relationally secure. Maybe there's a lot of things around you that would, that would give what most people would want and call it peace. Then the question is, why is there no peace on the inside? Why is there no joy on the inside? The answer is because all the things around you cannot bring the peace that you need inside of your soul. And we've seen this kind of story repeated over and over and over again, whether it's Hollywood celebrities or professional athletes or people that you would think literally have their world just knotted up in a perfect little bow and everything looks great, everything looks peaceful, and, and all the security the world could ever offer is theirs to be had. But there's an absolute void of peace in people's lives without the Lord Jesus Christ. 
Now, you may have seen this. Yeah, I used to see this years ago at Christmas time. You see, you do this little statement sometimes on people's houses or on their a bumper sticker. It would say, no Jesus, no peace. K-N-O-W. No Jesus, no peace. And then it would say, no Jesus, no peace. N-O Jesus. N-O peace. And it's a beautiful way to say it. If you know Jesus, then you can know peace. But if you have no Jesus, you will experience no peace. Let me ask you this question as we wrap this up. Do you have peace in your heart, in your soul today, knowing that your relationship with God has been settled through the Lord Jesus Christ? Do you know that? I mean, right here, right now, as you're approaching Christmas, tomorrow, do you have that peace that only Jesus could bring inside of your heart and life right now. And if you do not, let me encourage you, receive Jesus Christ today. Let's pray. Today, peace is offered to you through the Lord Jesus Christ. If you're here today and you've never accepted him, you might be religious, you might be here for the first time, you may be really struggling in your life. I'm here to tell you, Jesus Christ is the answer. He must be accepted by faith. He must be received. Today, I want to invite you to open up your heart, open up your life, and receive Christ as your Savior. The Bible says, if you will call upon the name of the Lord, you will be saved. It's a spiritual thing. Today, right there where you're seated, you can call on the name of the Lord. You can invite Christ into your life. You can trust him. You can believe in him. You can accept him today. Would you do that? Right now in your heart, just pray and invite Jesus Christ, the Savior of the world, to be your personal Savior. You can say something like this, dear Jesus, I know I'm a sinner. Go ahead, tell him. I know I cannot save myself. But I believe that you are God, and I believe you died on the cross and rose again. Today, I accept you as my Savior. Thank you for loving me. Help me to not be ashamed of you. Friend, you could have prayed that prayer just now, and I hope you did. If you did, the Bible makes you a promise you'll be saved. So today, I want to ask this question. Could I rejoice with you? Is there somebody here today that say, Preacher, I prayed that prayer. I meant it. I'm glad I did. I just accepted Jesus Christ as my Savior. I just invited him into my life. I just did that just now. Preacher, I want you to pray for me. If that's you, would you just lift your hand up? Would you do that? Preacher, I just did that. Just accepted Christ as my Savior. Just asked him to be my Lord and Savior Invited him into my life, and today I believed in him. May God bless you. Let's stand if we could and sing this final uh, Christmas carol as we close our service today.